Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend with a passion for British royal history. Before we get into things today, if you enjoy the podcast, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share. The more you do, the higher the chances are that we are to show up on lists, more people can then see the podcast, and the podcast family can continue to grow. Additionally, if you want to contribute to the podcast, there is a donation link both on Twitter and on the Anchor homepage. This is another way you can directly help improve the podcast and make it the very best it can be. Anything that you can do, I am very appreciative of. In terms of royal updates, there isn't much going on. In some ways, they are letting the dust settle after two weeks of rampant media attention and scrutiny, even if in some ways it's still there. Everyone is slowly getting back to work as engagements, whether personal or virtual, are underway again. It was reported on Tuesday that the Duke of Edinburgh officially left hospital and is on his way to recover back at home. Instead of Wood Farm at Sandringham, he is instead heading to Windsor Castle to recover. He appears to be okay, so we wish him well in his recovery. The royal family is still doing a lot of damage control, as the world is still in a state of unrest after the interview given by the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. The big rumor going around is that apparently Prince Harry has joined in on family discussions with Her Majesty the Queen, Prince Charles, and his brother Prince William. Who knows what they are actually discussing, as these conversations are kept tight under wraps so no leaks happen. From what royal insiders have said and hinted at, there have been discussions with Prince Charles, Prince William, and Prince Harry. From what they've been insinuating, they aren't going very well and they're not going anywhere. Mother's Day was celebrated in the UK this past weekend and there were touching tributes to Granny Diana from Prince George, Princess Charlotte, and Prince Louis. They made their way across social media and it was a rather touching and emotional tribute remembering her. It's nice to see that Prince William and Catherine are doing their best to keep the memory of Princess Diana alive in their children. Later in the summer, a memorial of her is scheduled to be unveiled and erected at Kensington Palace with Prince William and Prince Harry both in attendance and doing the unveiling themselves. It should be a monumentous occasion as this has been scheduled for a while now, but the pandemic put it on hold. It'll be interesting to see the brothers reunited again. Lastly, Princess Eugenie posted a very touching photograph of her with her newborn son, August, following up with a very cute picture of her with her mother, the Duchess of York, when Princess Eugenie was a little infant herself. Plans for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee are underway and slowly being released to the public. This four-day event is said to take place sometime in 2022. This is to be a monumentous occasion and celebrates 70 years of Queen Elizabeth II on the throne 
further cementing her as the longest reigning British monarch in history. More details will be released in the coming months as that date slowly gets closer and closer, and of course, if the pandemic gets under control. Continuing our series into royal residences, we've been to Buckingham Palace, we've been to Windsor Castle, we've been to Balmoral, we've been to Clarence House, and we've been to St. James's Palace. Today, we're heading over to Norfolk and going to Sandringham House. A large estate in Norfolk, it is known to be the main location where the royals celebrate Christmas and the New Year's holiday. Being a private home, it is also a fully functioning estate, both agriculturally and for sport. Much like Balmoral, it has the main house in addition to several other smaller estates on the property. Sandringham House has seen war, death, many, many renovations over the years, and an occasional bombing, so stay tuned as we head over to Sandringham House. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sandringham House is located in the parish of Sandringham in Norfolk, England, which, according to Google, is about a two-hour drive north of London. Two hours and some change. The estate in total encapsulates 20,000 acres, with woodlands, parks, and gardens being a part of the National Register of Historic Parks and Gardens. Aside from the main house and gardens, other smaller estates sit on the property. These are York Cottage, Amner Hall, Park House, Wood Farm, in the area known as Appleton House. In terms of royal residences, This is a fairly quote-unquote new addition to the bunch, but it is still a rather old estate as it joined royal hands in 1862. Soon thereafter, a massive construction project was launched on the property. While we've always known it to be in royal hands, it didn't start out that way, and its history echoes much like other residences. It started in private hands and somehow through connections and lease offerings made its way into royal hands. Sandringham is recorded in the Domesday Book of 1086 as Sant Dursingham, the sandy part of Dursingham, which was subsequently shortened to Sandringham. There's evidence of a residence where the current house resides as early as 1296. Prehistoric flint tools have been found in the area, as well as the remains of a Roman villa quite close to Appleton on the estate. From the 16th century onward, the area passed through two families, the first being the Cobbs, who held the land from 1517, and then the Host's family, who had it following 1686. The house found at Sandringham before royal hands was a plain Georgian structure built in the second half of the 18th century by Cornish Henley, whose wife was a member of the Host family. 
Henley died before the house was completed, and his son eventually sold it to a neighbor, John Monteau. Monteau bequeathed it in his will to his friend Charles Spencer Cowper, the stepson of Viscount Palmerston, who was prime minister at the time. In spring 1862, Sandringham House and its total estate of about 6,900 acres was bought from Cowper as a country home for Prince Albert Edward, who had just turned 21. Being the elder son of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, Victoria and Albert decided that he should move from the family home to a house all of his own. His principal residence was to be Marlborough House in London, but it was felt that he should also have a private house well away from town so that he could be able to escape when duty permitted and enjoy the benefits of a healthy country life. It is known that Victoria and Albert didn't have the best relationship with their eldest son, Bertie, as he was known in the family. So they did the best that they could to have him settled in hopes that this would remedy things and his lifestyle. Many properties were inspected, upwards of 18 estates, and the search was still ongoing when the tragic premature death of Prince Albert in 1861 brought it all to an abrupt halt. However, Queen Victoria decided that everything must go on as her husband would have wished, and the Prince of Wales prepared for a visit to Sandringham later in 1862. On inspection, the property was decided to be, quote, most suitable, and the purchase was concluded a few days later. The prince made the old house as comfortable as he could and moved in with his new wife, Her Royal Highness Princess Alexandra of Denmark, three weeks after their marriage in 1862. It soon became evident that the old house was too crammed for the prince's growing family. It was then demolished to make way for a new house, designed by Norwich architect A.J. Humpert and built by Grogs Brothers of Swatham. Advisors to the prince first tried to convince Bertie that building a new home was too expensive and the house should just be added to piecemeal. However, that thought process was very shortly lived. Some of the first projects were smaller homes built around the estate to house the rector of the church, the land agent, and the new head gardener. Elsewhere on the estate, new stables were built, the school was renovated extensively, and new farms and roads were added to the estate as a whole. The main house was completed in 1870, a ballroom was added in 1881, and new guest accommodations and a complete guest accommodation wing was added in the 1890s. Additionally, with more purchases of land for the estate, it slowly expanded over the years to what we now know as the current total acreage of 20,000. Over the next 50 years, improvements would be made to make it a wonderful and fully functioning agricultural and sporting residence for the Prince and Princess of Wales. While the sentiment is still felt to this day regarding invitations to private family residences, getting an invitation from Bertie to come to Sandringham for a weekend of sport and fun was a big honor and most desired in his lifetime. He was known most for his hospitality, and once the new home was completed, everyone fell in love with it and complimented the Edwardian interiors and various collections held within the walls of the estate. 
Once the new home was completed, the family of the Prince and Princess of Wales enjoyed Sandringham with, with much love and admiration. It was a place they built for themselves, and so it was where the family enjoyed much time away from royal life. Once they were married, their royal highnesses the Duke and Duchess of York, later King George V and Queen Mary, took up residence in the cozy York Cottage far on the estate. They loved York Cottage, even as their family expanded and it was very clear that the cottage was too small. They stayed there and they loved it. George V's naval career and military training made him fall in love with the small Spartan rooms within York Cottage. He, as well as Queen Mary, fell in love with Norfolk and Sandringham. In fact, most of their children were born on the estate. One anecdote that has two drastically different sides, but I've read them in two different books, so I don't know exactly which is true and which is fabrication, but there is a fun anecdote regarding Sandringham and King Edward VII and King George V. One side of the story is that once King Edward VII passed away and George V assumed the throne in 1911, Queen Alexandra would not move out of Sandringham. She straight up refused. It was the home that she built with her husband and she would not permit the new sovereign, her own son, to move into the new home. As all the other properties were bequeathed to him upon his ascension to the throne by right of the crown estate and the private residences being passed down through the will from uh, father to eldest son. In the reading of the will and dispersing of everything, Queen Alexandra was left a small sum of money and interest in the estate at Sandringham. So even though George V technically owned it, she had interest in the estate as well. And she used that to further her argument that she was not going to leave. She put up a fit and even the eldest daughter, Princess Louise, Princess Royal, came to her mother's defense and they both dug their heels in and stayed at Sandringham. The new sovereign and his family continued to stay at York Cottage with no complaint until Queen Alexandra's death in 1925 on the Sandringham estate. While they were happy to have more space, King George V remarked later that it was somewhat bittersweet and kind of painful. They had a lot of happy memories at York Cottage, and the happiness that he once had at Sandringham was overshadowed at the fact that, one, his parents are dead, and two, all the bitter arguing that he that he had with his mother about the estate. That is just one side of the story. The other side that I've read is that George V refused to move in himself, citing evidence in the will that his mother had uh, some of money and interest in the estate. He put his hands up and said, nope, this is evidence. Nope, I'm not moving in. He built the house for her. It was my parents' love project. She's still alive. I'm not going to move in. It doesn't feel right. So regardless of the fact that he technically owned it, either he didn't move in out of respect for his mother or his mother wouldn't let him, period. Who knows where the actual truth in all that is, but I wanted to share it. During the wars, Sandringham did see its fair share of action. In a strange twist of fate, in 1915, two bombs were quote-unquote accidentally dropped on the property. Meant to go elsewhere, the first bomb landed in one of the pastures, and while no one was injured, it was later expanded to add to the pasture space and to the terrain. 
The other bomb sadly did kill a civilian. While many planes would fly over the property, it would not see too much action beside that. It pretty much avoided a lot of World War I action. In World War II, Queen Mary would be at church on the estate when she heard the news that England was at war with Germany. Not soon thereafter, the entire house proper would be closed up and protected. The royal family would not be permitted to go back into the main house until after the war, as there was a great fear for their safety. Sandringham was thought to be a very big area that the enemy would want to bomb. Princesses Elizabeth and Margaret were sent to Windsor Castle, while the king and queen would stay in Buckingham Palace in London. If they did find time to escape to Sandringham, they would stay in one of the smaller homes and not the house proper. They weren't permitted to go back to the main house. There are some tragic and personal family moments that occurred on the estate of Sandringham. King Edward VII fell ill at Sandringham and sadly would pass away in Buckingham Palace. The king's eldest son and heir, His Royal Highness Prince Albert Victor, Duke of Clarence and Avondale, also died at Sandringham. He passed away on January 14th, 1892 of pneumonia. He was originally on the path to be engaged to Her Serene Highness Princess May of Teck, but his death of course prevented that. She would soon go on to marry his brother and new heir to the throne, His Royal Highness Prince George of Wales. They would then go on to be the Duke and Duchess of York, and then King George V and Queen Mary. In 1919, His Royal Highness Prince John would have an epileptic seizure and pass away while at Sandringham, and he would later be buried on the property. This is the famous Prince John that no one knows too much about because he was hidden away from the world as he was epileptic and probably autistic. He was hidden away because at the time they didn't know how to handle it and they thought that was the best thing to do. George V would also die at Sandringham at 11.55pm on January 20th, 1936. The king died in his bedroom at Sandringham and his death was hastened by injections of morphine and cocaine to maintain his dignity but also to enable the announcement of his death the following day in the Times. The last sovereign to pass away at Sandringham was King George VI. He passed away on February 6, 1952, after an eventful day of shooting and time with his family. A heavy smoker, he never fully regained his health after his lung surgery a few years prior. So Sandringham has seen a lot of tragedy within its walls. As it is a private residence of the monarch, upon the abdication of King Edward VIII, things got a little messy. Edward VII never truly liked Sandringham, and shortly after his ascension, he asked his brother, the Duke of York, to look over the management of the estate. By this point, it had become a very prized home within the family. But when he abdicated the throne, he still owned them, as they were private residences and not residences of the crown estate. This threw everything out of whack. As, as tradition goes, the king owns them. Well, he's not king anymore. Before he was exiled away, the newly crowned King George VI bought back both Sandringham and Balmoral from his brother. As we already know, Balmoral is another private residence as well. At the cost of around 62 million pounds today for both residences, he bought them back from his brother and brought them back into control of the current sovereign at the expense of dividing the brothers even further. 
It is said that even to this day, Queen Elizabeth II goes to the estates to commemorate the passing of her father each year. It's a quiet moment of reflection and a way for her to pay respects to her father after all these years. Over time, many holidays and family vacations have taken place at Sandringham, most notably Christmas. The tradition of the royal family Christmas at Sandringham began in 1864, and while they may have had some Christmases at Windsor, they have always had them at Sandringham, and they will probably continue to have them at Sandringham. Additionally, Sandringham was the location of both the very first Christmas radio broadcast by George V and the very first Christmas television broadcast by the current Queen. Regarding the other residences on the estate, Park House is notably where Princess Diana was born and raised as a child until her father inherited the earldom Spencer and they moved away from Park House in Norfolk over to Althorpe in Northamptonshire. Then Viscount and Viscountess Althorpe, they moved into the home as Diana's mother's family had a lease on the property and they took over the lease of Park House. After all, Diana's grandmother, Lady Fermoy, was one of the ladies of the bedchamber to the Queen Mother. All the Spencer children would be born at Park House and Diana was said to be very sad to leave it. Apparently, they would have fun terrorizing the various nannies and governesses, and Diana had a lot of fun going down to the staff areas and cooking with them and learning how to cook and socializing, and that's where she really learned to care about people while she was at Park House. It is said that they would go over to the main house, the main Sandringham house for Christmas with the royals and other royal family gatherings. She remembered that they would watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang frequently, and while she was growing up, she actually developed quite a strong relationship with Prince Andrew. The original function of Park House was for overflow if they had a large party staying at Sandringham at the time. It offered extra space for residences to stay in in case there was no longer room in the main house. Later, at the turn of the century, it was rented out, which is how the Spencer family got a hold of it and subsequently how Diana was born and raised at Park House. Park House was then bequeathed to a charity in 1983, and after countless renovations, it is now a hotel for disabled people. Also known as the Bachelor's Cottage, York Cottage is no longer used as a residence at all. Instead, it is a location of the main offices for the entirety of the Sandringham estate. Amner Hall on the estate was acquired in 1896. It was the former country home of the Duke of Kent, but it is now the country home of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. Apparently during lockdown, the Cambridge family has been spending a lot of time at Amner Hall because it is away from the city and they can more effectively quarantine there. Appleton House was built and gifted to Prince Carl of Denmark, later King Haakon VII of Norway, and Princess Maud when they married in July of 1896. It was a gift from the Prince and Princess of Wales, Princess Maud's parents. Once Queen, Queen Maud became very fond of Appleton, and their son, Prince Alexander, later King Olaf V of Norway, was born at the house in 1903. After Queen Maud died in 1938, King Haakon returned the property back to the royal family. 
The last inhabitants were King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, who stayed there during a visit to Norfolk during World War II, when, of course, as we know, the main Sandringham house was closed. Sadly, the house was demolished in 1984. Wood Farm is one of the properties that originally came with the estate back in 1862. It was where Prince John was born, subsequently kept hidden away, and was the actual location where he passed away. After that, Wood Farm became overflow for residences, but eventually became the area where divorced members of the royal family would stay when invited for Christmas. They weren't invited to stay in the main house. They'd have to stay in one of the other neighboring residences. Sarah, Duchess of York, apparently has spent a lot of time at Wood Farm. After his retirement in 2017, Prince Philip moved into Wood Farm and has spent his retirement there in peace and quiet. We have seen Sandringham depicted in pop culture quite frequently. It made an appearance in the film The King's Speech from 2010. We see a few scenes play out where the new King Edward VIII and Wallace Simpson are having a party there, and the Duke and Duchess of York show up, and there's a lot of tense exchanges. If my memory is correct, this is where the Duchess exclaims very loudly that she is there at the pleasure of the king and wants nothing to do with Wallace. Additionally, it has been brought to life numerous times in The Crown throughout its four seasons, most notably season one. We spend a lot of time at Sandringham in season one, especially because we see the death of King George VI and he died at Sandringham. Can you visit Sandringham? Yes, you can. You can tour actually quite a lot of it. The other estates, that is Amner Hall, Park House, Wood Farm, and York Cottage, they are not open to the public. They are 100% private, and I doubt that they will ever be open. The gardens at Sandringham were first opened to the public by King Edward VII in 1908, and in 1930, the museum on the property was opened. There's a lot of collections held within the walls. Edward VII and all the other sovereigns really liked collecting, so there's fun collections within the walls. The queen, the current queen, opened the house itself to the public during her Silver Jubilee year in 1977. This includes many of the public areas of the home, and as you would expect, the home is only open when the royals are not currently using it. Private areas are not open to to the public within the main Sandringham house, which is understandable. They're private areas. There's an extensive tour of the gardens and the grounds of the estate. They have been meticulously maintained and are very beautiful from the photographs I've seen. I can't wait to tour it myself. Aside from the house proper and the grounds of the estate, the church on the property is open to tour as well. They have individual tours, both self-guided and tour-guided. They have group tour deals and various packages for group tours. They also have a small gift shop and cafe on the property for guests to enjoy tea and other light refreshments, and souvenirs from the estate can be purchased there. While it hasn't been open due to COVID, they are accepting group tour bookings for later this year once things reopen. Also, their online store is open, so if you want to look at stuff there, I highly recommend it. They have a lot of fun tartan fabrics that have really piqued my interest. Sandringham, much like Balmoral, is a private home for the royal family where they can interact away from the prying eyes of the public and the media and can be a family. 
it's similar to that of Balmoral. They can let their hair down and just be themselves. Aside from holidays, it is a fully functioning estate for both agriculture and sporting. It has seen a lot of tragedy for the family, as many sovereigns and other family members have passed away within the walls of Sandringham. It has survived two world wars and an abdication crisis that, if King George VI didn't step in, who knows what would have happened to Sandringham. Kept relatively hidden away, it has survived and is a perfect representation of an Edwardian estate. The interiors that you can see online are breathtaking. The woodwork is beautiful. Soon it will be reopened to the public and I personally cannot wait to tour it when I venture over to England. While very brief and moderately comprehensive, that, dear listeners, is the history of the famous Sandringham House. My sources for today's episode are the official website for Sandringham House, as well as the books The Queen's Houses, Royal Britain at Home by Alan Tishmarsh, and The Private Life of Victoria by Alexander MacDonald. Thank you for stopping by the podcast today. I'm really glad you're here. If you want to email me to let me know how I'm doing, you can email me at britishroyalfanpod at gmail.com, or you can head over to Twitter and follow me there at fanatic underscore royal. I really like to interact with all of you as best I can, and in doing so, it allows me to improve the podcast as best I can and make it the best possible experience for you. If you also feel generous, you can make a donation to support the podcast. It is pinned on the Twitter homepage, but you can also go over to the Anchor homepage. Your donations are very much appreciated, and they help make the podcast even better, and I can invest in more research and better tools to make this the best podcast it can be head on over to anchor google podcast spotify apple podcast Castbox, and more rate review subscribe and share so that we play into various algorithms and the podcast can continue to gain traction and more people can join the podcast family i'm very excited for what the future holds have a great rest of your day stay safe and stay healthy and i will see you in the next one Thank you.